Cascade Hoops Talk, bringing the world NAI basketball one podcast at a time. This is Billy D, Cascade Hoops Talk. How's everybody doing? Well, we're in Indiana now, being schooled on what Indiana basketball is all about. But today, we have a special treat for you. We have Coach Payne. You know him on Twitter. as co- uh, tweets by Coach P. Uh, He's uh, been around basketball his entire life. And he knows more, in my opinion, he knows more about the basketball recruiting process than, well, anybody else I know. Uh, most importantly, though, there are a lot of people who say they know a lot about it, but there aren't a lot of people who say they know a lot about it and you can trust them. So Coach Payne is somebody you can really trust. So we have Coach Payne today. We're going to focus on, number one, how difficult is it to get in to play college basketball? What are the odds? What are the realistic odds? And we're going to do that not really to discourage anybody we just want to make sure that young people and families understand what they're up against and then we're going to talk about okay so you want to play college basketball what do you need to do what are the behavior traits you need to have what kind of grades do you need to have you know what do you need to do in and out of the classroom to prove that you're worthy of getting a a scholarship and then we'll talk about you know some very specific things how you interact with college coaches, how much you involve your high school coach, how much you involve your parents, you know, what do you do with game film, you know, little kind of logistic things like that that I'm sure a lot of parents have questions about. So we'll do that today. And I would really encourage you if you have a friend or, you know, a family who, you know, they have like a somebody in, you know, freshman or eighth grade or something that they really, really think they want to play college basketball the sooner they understand the type of person they need to be and the things that are required, uh, the better. Also, one other thing, Coach Payne and I will be doing a, a part two to this show. It'll probably be a couple of weeks. Uh, as you know, we're in, I'm in Indiana trying to get as many coaches interviews out as we can, but we'll do it in the next couple of weeks. And in that one, not completely drafted yet, but really talk about very uh granularly about you know the different levels what the heck is a division three how do you go to a division three how do you get help what kind of grades do you need what's nai how many scholarships do they have all those all those kind of things just to the whole idea that we had was the most vulnerable time for basketball players is when they're going from high school to college because there's so many people giving them advice and they just don't know where to turn and parents don't know where to turn either and then the other time which unfortunately we're not in a position to help but it was when they go from college and they want to play overseas that also seems like a very vulnerable time for these athletes but anyway we'll put that aside we're focusing on the recruiting side and so let's get coach p he'll be on in just one moment Cascade Hoops Talk, Billy D here. Hey, we're really excited today to have Coach Payne. Welcome, Coach. Thank you for being on the show. 
Thank you for having me a second time, even though the first one <laughs> we didn't get to hear. <laughs> oh, boy, that was my mistake. It was a great interview, folks. Trust me. I want to talk today about two parents and players who want to play college ball. And I don't know anybody who's worked with more parents or kids who want to play college ball than you. You know, let's start first with how many kids are are going to play college ball? How many... You don't understand what I'm saying. What are the number of opportunities? Well, that's a good question. And and it's not one that's necessarily easily answered. Um, but the best number, you know, I could throw out some numbers here that may be able to give you a little bit of an idea. Some people would say that these numbers are discouraging. I would argue the opposite and say that you really just need to be educated to know what you're up against. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and without knowing what you're up against, I think there is this false narrative out there that there's just endless opportunities that exist, right? Uh, now, there are a lot of opportunities that exist and probably far more than people even understand, but even then, it's just not endless. And so uh, every year, there's anywhere between about 100,000 and 150,000 high school seniors that are vying for opportunities to play at the next level. However, what is often not figured into that number is the number of players coming from other countries fighting for those same opportunities. Okay. And, and that number is growing exponentially every single year. Okay. And now not only that, but you're adding to that the number of prep programs who are taking seniors from previous years who did not account for some of those opportunities. And so each year that number is just steadily growing and growing and growing. And so each year I would say the best guess is somewhere around 200,000, give or take people who are truly fighting for those opportunities. Um, And at the end of the day, there's only about slightly over 2,000 college basketball programs throughout the country. Uh, And how many openings they have every year varies. Uh, But some of the best numbers are going to be about one in 100 are going to go D1, about one in 100 are going to go D2. Uh, Actually, that number is about 1.1 in 100, and then about 1.5 in 100 will go D3. Um, And then when you get into the other levels, you're looking somewhere in the ballpark of about – 3.2, 3.5 or so out of 100 will go to all of the other levels combined. So at the end of the day, you're looking at about 6.5 to 7 out of 100 will have the opportunity to move on to play college basketball. Well, that's a really good breakdown of the numbers. Coach Payne, I had never thought about the the foreign aspect because you're right. There's a lot of players coming from overseas, and like you said, it's more and more every year. Yep, and, and that's something that a lot of people aren't taking into consideration. And, and you know, I think the term overseas is just kind of used generically, but the, the country that's actually sending the majority of players to the United States for scholarships is actually Canada. And um, and so, I mean, that number is just growing exponentially. There's some great basketball taking place in some of the larger cities up there. Um, and so it's not just the high school players that are that are fighting for these anymore. And a, a, one really important aspect to keep in mind when talking about the players from other countries is they're fighting for scholarship basketball opportunities because they do not qualify for financial aid the way U.S. students do. 
So you have to understand that these are players that are fighting for those scholarship opportunities, and those scholarship opportunities are smaller than that 6.5 to 7 number out of 100. That's somewhere closer to about 4 to 5 out of 100 will receive some scholarship, and probably uh, the best guess is somewhere around 2 to 2.5 out of 100 will receive a full ride. So they're fighting for those opportunities versus the ones that come with very little scholarship money or the ones with no scholarship money simply because they don't qualify for financial aid in the United States. And I think it's important at this point to note, as you said at the outset, you know, you're not bringing these numbers out to discourage anybody. It's just if you're if no. you're a younger person and you want to play college basketball, as you said at the outset, it's it's not to discourage anybody, but you have to understand if you want to play college basketball, you have to understand what you're up against. Absolutely. And that's that's some people kind of accuse me of being somewhat negative, And that's not the case. I think the work I'm doing is very positive. I just have to put the information out there. Uh, so people can truly inform themselves, how can you know what you're facing unless you know what you're facing? And so that's why I share a lot of the information, because I want people to understand that these basketball scholarships are not just falling out of the sky. You know, I could we could go on and on every, you know, about players who have made it or haven't made it. But I'll give you two really good examples. I know a kid in the state of Tennessee who scored a thousand points in his senior year and didn't get a scholarship offer. Not for his career, but for his senior year, and did not get a scholarship offer. And just recently, two years ago, one of the Mr. Basketballs in Tennessee had one scholarship offer, and that was to an NAI school. They're just so competitive. And, I mean, we can just go on and on with examples like that, but the reality comes back to there's just not a lot of them out there. Yeah, well, I'll just add one of a case I'm very familiar with, Mitchell Fink, who one of the best assist slash scoring guys in the history of college basketball, not the NAI. Mm -hmm. He, he had one offer from Oregon tech. That was yep. it. One offer. Yep. And he turned out to be one and, of the and, best NAI players in history. And you'll see that it's much more common than people realize. I don't know how uh, accurate these numbers are anymore. This, this is data from 2017, 2018 that I helped compile, but the average college basketball player received one, 1.2 scholarship offers that's across all levels 1.2 scholarship offers so there's also a little bit of a misnomer that you're just going to have a lot of opportunities even if you are good enough to have a scholarship opportunity that you're going to have a myriad of opportunities to choose from and that's not true either uh you're likely going to have one or two at most so i think that's the first myth to blow up is the and we see it so often you see it more than i do is the the younger person who has maybe a d2 and an nai offer and is sitting back and waiting for that D1 offer. Yeah. <laughs> There's some telling statistics to that as well. There used to be, uh, again, this this data is a little old, but um, you already only have a 1% chance of getting a D1 scholarship offer. But there was a number, I want to say it's from 2016, 2017, that stated if you don't have a Division One offer by Christmas of your senior year, that number drops to zero, 0.5% that you'll get one. Well, that's pretty telling. So, yeah. so Coach Payne, let's let's move on. Why are we emphasizing this? And you and I talked before, but I think it's important for both the parents and the players to know these things, so that they understand what they need to do and what they have under their control. So, there are a few sure. things that young people don't have under their control, but there are several things that they do. And and Coach yep. Payne. 
Grades is number one. Talk about how important grades are and academic excellence in high school. It, it really, I cannot stress this enough. It's really the only thing that matters. And, and I get pushed back on that as well. Uh, I, I tend to get a lot of people who are kind of an outlier and more of an exception to the rule than the rule. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes using an exception to the rule only actually proves the rule, right? <laughs> and so um, it, the reality is you have to make good grades. You have to take care of business in the classroom. I have seen countless young people not recruited for this exact reason. I've, I've watched the disappointment come across a coach's face, a player's face, a, a relative's face, a parent's face, when they have to tell the young person that they cannot recruit them because of their grades. And the reality is you can and often will be passed up over athletic issues, but it's it's never going to happen that you'll be passed up over academic issues if they're good. If you take care of business in the classroom, you will open so many more doors, and especially in these non-Division One levels because so many of them are partial scholarship opportunities. And what they're looking to do is either stack a scholarship, and by stacking meaning get you some academic money on top of an athletic money, or very common across the NAI and D2 landscape are these academic exceptions that don't even count towards the scholarship totals, which is basically like getting extra players. Right. And so if you can come in with the right academics, you're going to open up so many more doors. And and being someone who has been a college coach across various levels, I will always go with a higher academic student if there are no other. I mean, it's not even close. I mean, and even if it's a person or a player who is slightly less talented, I'm going to go with academics every time. Every single time, because I know that young person is going to be there. I don't have to concern myself with not only getting them in the door, but then keeping them in the door once they get there. Because a lot of people don't, you know, really put that to the forefront. Getting there is only a part of it. That's when the academic and athletic journey really start. And so it's just simply going to open up so many doors. I mean, there's other things that are extremely important as well. Your attitude, the effort, your character energy you bring to the team. All of those things are significant. And all of these things are things that you can't control. You can't make yourself four or five inches taller. You can't make yourself gain, but only so much weight. But those things, academics, attitude, energy, effort, character, you can control those things all day long and then some. And those are the things you have to take control of in the recruiting process. And not only will it entice more coaches, but it actually Good grades actually uh, open up more opportunities when you start talking the D3 programs because you're not going to get into most of those. Uh, Most of these are private schools, pretty high academic standards. They're looking for really good students who can also play basketball and they want to give them an opportunity uh, with um, academic money. But you, unless you're yeah. a very good performer at school, you're not gonna you're not gonna be able to partake in that unless your family is very wealthy and can pay the full tuition at these private schools. Absolutely, and I used to know the numbers on the average uh, 
you know, D3 and NAIA private school tuition, but it's it's over $20,000. And that's prior to any room and board and fees and whatnot for a year. Uh, and so unless you just have that kind of money laying around, you really need to be able to bring something to the table for these coaches and these institutions to be able to give you merit money. And merit money is, is what's going to come from that academic side of your performance. And so I just can't stress it enough. Again, I've seen many people turn turned away for athletics, but academics will never get you turned away. So we, we talked about a few other things there, obviously grades, but uh, you know, you talked about discipline and work habits, and then this is what you hear all the time. Are they a good teammate? So specifically, what, yeah. what kind of questions do coaches ask around those things? We're going to ask how supportive, like one, one thing that I always ask when recruiting a young person is how does this person react? How do they still engage when they're not in a basketball game? Are they as excited for their teammates' contribution to the team as they are their own? And I know that that may seem like a, a tall task to, to place on a young person, but at the end of the day, those are the kind of people we're looking for. When your teammates succeed, your team succeeds. And so we're looking for those people who are high-fiving when they come out of the games, that are bringing energy on the bench, that are you know, running out there to you know, meet up with their teammates in a timeout, that are eye contact during you know timeouts and talking to coaches and teammates and looking on the bench and seeing what the what you're doing next to your teammates when the game's taking place are you are you watching the game are you not paying attention these are all things that are extremely important and and stuff that coaches look for all the time all the time um and so that's two things I think kind of go hand in hand, that energy factor and being a good teammate. Now you can bring energy in a multitude of ways. Are you doing it on the bench? Are you doing it on the court? But in the moment, I'm more so talking about the energy you're bringing to your team when you're not in the game and the support you're showing to your teammates. What are some of the best work habits a young person can develop in high school that will uh, either open up these opportunities or, you know, just help them out? What What are some of the examples well, you have? I'm going to go – a way that you're probably not going to guess here because I'm going to touch on what I think is probably the biggest obstacle and the biggest hurdle for all athletes, student athletes, once they make the transition to college. And if you start doing this in high school, it won't be as difficult when you get to college. And this is probably going to come out left field, but learn how to effectively manage your time. Mm -hmm. And that typically is the number one hang up for all student athletes once they get to college that first year. And it's very typically the reason that you'll see many people struggling in the classroom, struggling athletically, because they are simply not managing their time effectively. And while I can go down a list of, of a ton of different things you could do, uh, building habits athletically and academically, I think it all starts with time management and being able to adequately schedule certain things. Are you, are you working out? If you, let's say you're working out on your own, that's great, but are you scheduling that workout time? Are you still scheduling the time to do your homework? Are you still scheduling study hall? Are you doing everything around your schedule to manage it effectively to ensure that you're bringing the best you both academically and athletically? So I think that's the number one thing that high school students have to learn how to do because a lot of times they have mom and dad and a coach and all these people kind of pushing them and telling them what to do. Well, you're not going to have that when you get to college. And so if you can start that early – if you can be the one that really initiates that habit, then everything else can flow from that one particular habit. You know, that's a really good point. You know, another thing about a high school kid, if these are very good athletes, they're probably things are coming easy to them, right? And so they Often. can just do things kind of 
ad hoc basis and kind of get away yep. with it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and that's not going to be the case in college. I don't care where you go. I don't care what level you're playing. It's just going to be different. And if you can truly learn how to effectively manage your time or at least to get a leg up on it, then everything is going to flow from that. And I cannot attest to that enough. Time management is key. And, and as I said, the number one reason why most people who struggle or fail out of college their first year, it's usually a time management issue. It's usually not academics or whatever, but it stems from time management. So, Coach Payne, let's let's assume that a that a young person has gotten decent grades. They they're a good good basketball player. When will coaches generally start to make contact? What can they expect to happen? What trips should they know? You know what things can trip them up. What kind of behavior things should they know when co- coaches or schools do contact them? I also want to know if they should contact the schools. But I want I want to know first, how do they react to coaches or schools who contact them? Well, how do they react? Uh, first of all, keep that communication open. Ensure that you are absolutely keeping communication open. If a coach reaches out to you, if the coach takes the time to truly reach out to you via email, text message, DM, whatever it is, ensure that you're taking the time to respond. When you respond, ensure that you are responding accordingly. The last thing you want to do is respond to a wrong name or a wrong school. So make sure that you know who you're talking to. And it seems like a small task, but it's extremely important because it happens all the time. So be truthful, be honest, respond accordingly. Don't leave the coaches waiting. Make sure you get back with them as soon as possible. Should uh, high school players contact schools? And if so, when? Absolutely. You know, this really kind of depends. If you ask 50 people, you may get 50 different answers. Um, My opinion, the rule of thumb is if you are playing in exposure events, by exposure events, I mean AAU tournaments, things like that, if you are doing those things and you're not hearing from coaches, uh, you probably need to really start taking the initiative around the start of your junior year to reach out to coaches. Make sure that, you know, there's some staffs who have three or four people on staff. Some staffs have a head coach and a volunteer. So just because you're not hearing back, don't let that discourage you. Email, uh, make sure that you're making it personable. Make sure that you are um, adding something in there about the school. Make sure that you're selling yourself in a multitude of ways more than just basketball. Uh, Make sure you, you add some stuff, character, volunteering, things like that. But don't give up and don't get discouraged. Uh, me, just as an example, uh, I used to be a head coach at a school in Ohio called Miami University Hamilton. And in one year, I'm sorry, in one day, I received over 180 emails. And I was the only person on staff. How can you possibly answer all of those, right? So don't get overly discouraged just because you don't hear back immediately. So one thing I hear coaches complain about, I've heard them, I won't say a lot, but a lot, a lot, is mass emails. In other words, mm-hmm. it's, it's obvious that there was one email prepared and it was sent out to 100 coaches. Mm-hmm. So w- what you're saying is when you contact the school, make the email individualized so that the coach knows you're sending it to that coach, to that school, right? Yes. Yes. So what ends up happening is a lot of times they'll they'll come up with like a template and they'll 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 send it out to everybody. But we can tell whether or not you've personalized it or taken the time or if you're just sending something out to the masses trying to get someone's attention. Um, And so make sure that you're personalizing that both to you and the school. 
and the coach. Um, one of the things that I've often got is, hey, we really like you know your program. I like what you're doing with your program. And then I'll reach out and ask the person what they think about our program, and they know nothing about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's almost like a job yeah. interview. So if you're going to go into a job interview, you want to research. Now with the Internet, you can learn everything about everybody, right? So research the company. So it's the same thing. If you want to contact a coach to play ball at somewhere, I mean, learn their history. Learn how well they did in the conference the last couple of years. So you can have yes, that. And that'll absolutely. Be, yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, absolutely. At least, you know, why do you, what is it that you like about us? Don't just say you like it. Tell me what it is you like about us. Don't tell me, Hey, I like what you're doing with your program. Uh, or then I ask you if you know where we are and you don't even know what state we're located in. And believe it or not, that is something that is very common. So I don't mind a young person putting together a template, but make sure that you do the work that you, you know, to, to know a little something about these programs when you are sending that out to those schools. We're talking a lot about what the, okay, I have a question first. Is there sure. any difference at all between being recruited for men's basketball versus women's? Is there any difference at all? Well, I, I do think there there is a difference. I'm not as well versed in women's basketball, but I do think there is a slight difference um, in that the timing is, I do know this to be true, timing is often very different. Uh, you will see for the men's side, if you haven't heard something by the start of your senior year from somebody, the odds continue to diminish immensely by the day. That's not always the case with women's basketball. Um, so that's something else. Timing is also a little different. Um, now, with on the men's side, a lot of times the non-Division one levels wait till that time to start recruiting you. But in general, you probably would have heard something, some type of feedback or communication or something. On the women's side, that isn't always the case. Uh, I know women who have not started getting any type of recruitment until well into their senior year and end up with really substantial scholarship offers. So the timing... And the cadence might be a bit different, but the ground it might be a bit the, different. The yes. ground rules are basically the same on how to behave. Ground rules are, are going to ring true across both. Yeah. So in in this process, we're talking about how young people get a hold of coaches, contact coaches, how to deal with coaches. What I can't wait to ask you this question: what What should parents do, and what should parents not do? <laughs> parents, <laughs> great question. Parents should be extremely supportive but let their child be at the forefront. I don't want to make it seem like we don't want anything to do with the parent because that's not true. However, it is a transition into adulthood around this time. And so having uh, the young person drive the bus and the parent sit in the back of the bus is the best analogy I can have. We want them there. We want them around, but let the kid drive the bus. Um, let that young person be the one who is initiating the contact. Let that young person be the one who is selling themselves. Uh, as an example, I, you know, you know this, but I have almost 40,000 followers on Twitter. I'm followed by, I don't even know how many college coaches at this point. I've coached across numerous levels and won championships. I played in college. And here's the funny thing. I can get coaches ranging from high-level SEC coaches calling me to uh, the smallest levels of JUCO basketball you've never heard of asking my opinion, and they value that opinion. My oldest son was a final ballot Mr. Basketball candidate in Tennessee. Uh, he ended up with over 20-some scholarship offers and now plays professional basketball. I could not get a single person to listen to my opinion on him. <laughs> no one. Because no you're his dad. <laughs> because I was dad. 
Yeah. And the reality is, no matter how good you are, no matter how well-intentioned you are, no matter how much you think you can do this, you cannot separate those two roles. And so what I've found with parents, they do one of two things typically. Um, the biggest thing is overreaching and being overbearing. But what they typically do with that is they typically overvalue their child or they undervalue. And it's rare that it's pretty spot on. Okay. It's extremely rare that it's pretty spot on. And so I, I give you my personal story to share that, hey, we're, we're probably just not going to listen to your opinion if it's you on your child. So the last thing you want to do is be the person selling them. You can help them. You can be there, stand back in the shadows a little bit. We're completely fine with that. Just don't be overbearing. Don't be demanding. Uh, as, as a rule of thumb, you know, when I was still coaching college ball, I, I had zero conversation with parents regarding anything to do with the basketball team once the player was on campus. Nothing. I had a hard, fast rule about that. Yeah. And I also shared that in the recruiting process. Uh, you could ask as many questions. You can talk all you want during that process. Once they're on campus, I no longer discuss that. If we're discussing grades or there's bigger concerns, great. But we discuss nothing about the basketball team. So this, this I have another question, and this might be a little little harder. What about the coach, their high school coach? What should what what role should you give your high school coach? I think it's going to depend on the role that they're playing. Um, I mean, that, that's a question. I think what you're asking me is a perfect world scenario question. Uh, and the reality is there's not many perfect world coaches out there on any level. Um, in a perfect world, your coach is going to be, your high school coach is going to be extremely involved. And some people argue which is more important, AAU or, or high school. I think they're both equally important. Um, I tend to go slightly lean a little bit. For my talent evaluation, I'm going to go AAU coach. For everything else, I go high school coach. Okay, yeah, because the high school so coach can, probably knows the person the, the person better. Yes, the high school coach is going to know the person immensely better. They're going to know more about their character in terms of routine, showing up, doing what's what. Um, and so I tend to go AAU and AAU coach for my talent evaluation in high school for literally everything else. Um, and, and they should be very involved in that process and, and, and reaching out on your behalf and, and sharing what tends to happen there is also kind of similar to what happens with a parent, especially on the high school front for two reasons. One, you often have a high school coach who is not, I hate to say it, but a lot of times high school coaches, not everybody, and this isn't even the majority, but some of them are just doing the job because they're the best person for the job at that particular school. And it doesn't mean they're even necessarily the most qualified high school coach, and that's not a knock on them. They're just doing the best that they can. But what happens is they spend four years with this young person, and they're pretty emotionally invested as well. And so, um, and that's why I tend to go talent evaluation AAU, everything else high school coach. But, but you know, just sell your players. Reach out. Um, I, you know, one thing I, I recommend all AAU and high school coaches do is Go to a local non-Division One program practice and game in the area, uh, and that will help you start gauging your talent versus those players. And, and just be, you know, to kind of sum it up on both sides, just be their biggest supporter and be honest. Give your honest opinion. If you don't know, start out by saying, hey, but I think this might be a good I think this might be why, because we're going to be more apt to listen to a person saying we think than a parent saying we think. So this is a very specific question, but uh, film, what is the right mm -hmm. way to share film? 
I don't know that there is a right way. I just hosted a Twitter Spaces with uh, an NAI Twitter Spaces show. We had a little over 200 people. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, actually, it was over 1,000 that popped on, but we averaged about 200 per minute. Uh, and that's how they, they rate those things. But um, we had three NAI coaches talking and myself, two of us prefer Twitter DMs and two of them prefer email. So I don't think that there is an actual <laughs> preferred way to do it. <laughs> so, um, but, but to touch on film, there's really only a couple important things that you want to do with film. One, you don't want it to be insanely long. Okay, you don't want to send me a highlight film that's eight or nine minutes long. A highlight film is what's going to grab us in. It is literally the opening part of your resume, right? It's it's what you're looking for. It's, it's that, it's, hey, this this is why I think I would be good for this. And then if we like what we see in that highlight film, we will then move on to full game film. So in a highlight film, you want to mix it up. Yeah, I, I don't want to see free throws in a highlight film. I don't want to see you taking charges in a highlight film. Those are all things that I, I'll figure out at another point in time. I want to see what you're doing well. I want to see if you can shoot. I want to see if you can pass. I want to be able to see what your basketball IQ is in some of these plays that are taking place. On some of these fast breaks, uh, I can kind of tell what's what with basketball IQ and are they making the right pass? Or are they not making the right pass? Um, and so mix it up. You know, I had a young person send me a highlight video that was about six minutes uh, long a couple years ago, and it was only three-pointers from start to finish. Right. I've seen a lot of those, yeah. That was it. That was it. There was nothing else in there. Six minutes of three-pointers. And that's great. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it definitely caught my attention, but I didn't even call the young person. I didn't make contact because I needed some people who could do more than just shoot threes. And so uh, you want to mix it up. You want to show the person what you can do. As an example, when my son was making his highlight tape, we started his highlight tape off. Now, this may not be applicable to everyone, but we started his highlight tape off with uh, it was the Elite Eight game in the AAU Nationals. Off the tip off, the guy tipped him the ball. He went up and did a two-hand dunk on two people. Well, that caught, that caught everybody's attention, right? You want to come out of the gate with something that's truly going to catch their attention. And then just start mixing in various things that you do well. But leave the free throws out. Leave the charges out. Uh, keep it to about two to four minutes long. You don't want to go much longer than that. And understand that coaches are going to want to see full game film. DM and email them both. Do them both because you just don't know anymore what coaches prefer. So I would say do both. If you know the coaches on social media, DM them and also email them. That would be because you just don't know anymore what, what other coach prefers. Coach Payne, we've talked a lot about what young people should or shouldn't do, families should or shouldn't do. But where can where can families reach out for help? You know, there's there's a, a multitude of ways that you can get assistance. Um, you know, a shameless plug here. We're one of these. Um, if you, you have questions, if you have concerns, if you have, uh, you know, kind of lost in the process, you can always DM me on Twitter at tweets by Coach P. Uh, if it's not myself checking it, I have an intern that checks uh, DMs rather routinely. Uh, another plug for someone who does a lot of 
with young people is a good friend of mine named Chadwick Hickson. Uh, he is at Twitter on Twitter at Chadwick Hickson or Coach Hickson Dimes. I'm sorry, Coach Hickson Dimes. Um, and, and we're two people that that do this. We love the game. We try to help as many people as possible. Um, NAI Hoops Report is a great source if you're specifically interested in NAI Hoops. Kind of focuses more on just teaching about the level, but loves to answer questions, loves to point people in the right direction. Uh, D3 Direct is a great one for uh, D3 information. Uh, And there's just a lot of resources out there, but I'm kind of a catch-all. I kind of do a lot with the various levels. So the levels a lot of people don't even know exist. So I try to uh, try to answer as many questions as possible. And, and we're one of those services or entities that if we can't help you, we can probably point you in a direction of somebody who can. I would really encourage people to reach out to one of these groups that Coach Payne talked about. I've, I've said it many times, and Coach Payne, you know this, I, there are very few people that I, I trust, right? And those people you just mentioned are all people you can trust. And and I know these, especially yeah. families that have a very talented child, young person, they're, uh, you know, they're, they've got to be really careful. Um, so make sure you can trust who you're dealing with. And even if you're not interested in, in uh, having one of these per- people help you out, you might reach out to them and just say, hey, so-and-so has contacted me. Do you know anything about them? Please. So Yeah, ab- yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, Coach, we could probably, and we might do this, I think it'd be fun to go through the the different levels and what they are. You know, there's so much. Sure. I think we're going to have to do it in a, in a different show. Um, but Let's I, do it. I think we do a part two. I'm going to propose right now that we do a part two where we look more at the at the different levels and how they can give scholars, because they're all so different. There's they're so different and I accept we can set that up uh, I'll put some information together and we can make a full show out of that in and of itself so everybody look for that uh, within the next few weeks we'll do a part two in between we're all going to watch basketball and and coach Payne still has a real job so he has to do that too <laughs> I do yeah I'm an athletic director first year athletic director and this has been a big transition from coaching college basketball and so um I'm kind of still learning the ropes here. So in many ways, I'm like a lot of these young people and families that are looking for help. Have you gotten really skilled with the volleyball net yet? Uh, I have not. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) However, volleyball has probably became my favorite sport in the athletic directing world. All right. Yes, it was something that I often loved anyway because um, volleyball and men's basketball go hand-in-hand in in many ways, especially in the small college world. They're often – practice after one another or games will be on the same days and so it's a sport that I was already kind of in love with but now I fall in love with it even more oh I was just teasing because the Nets uh, every coach I ever talked to that I know they always gripe about having to take down and put up those Nets oh well it's horrible but see I don't have to do that anymore (laughs) so uh I don't have to do that. I did that as a basketball coach, but now I'm more, I'm, you know, just a spectator, but that all jokes aside, it is, I've actually fallen in love with it. Love the sport. Well, coach Payne, I really appreciate you being on. I have a lot of respect. Uh, parents, I'll just tell you this. It, it, you can, this is a guy you can trust. You can always reach out to him and he has an endless font of knowledge in this area. And we're going to have a, a part two in a few weeks, but thank you very much, coach Payne. Thank you. Thank you.